Welcome to the Sales Pro Chat Podcast, brought to you by the Canadian Professional Sales Association, helping sales-focused professionals discover new tools, trends, and strategies. Please welcome your host, Bill Bannum. In the September 2018 episode of the Sales Pro Chat Podcast, we consider if your team are really ready to sell. Our guest is Mike Kunkel, a respected sales transformation architect and widely recognized sales training and sales enablement expert. Listen to this show as Mike shares insights into how more sales can come from training, knowledge sustainment, skills development, skills transfer, coaching to mastery, the use of content and sound sales management practices. For sales professionals, team leaders, and organizations across the country, the Canadian Professional Sales Association is your partner in building knowledge and skills to improve sales performance. The CPSA is the advocate for excellence in sales. We invest resources in programming, curriculum development, and professional designations to help individuals and companies become more successful through effective sales. We connect employers and employees, business with academia, and the private sector with government to advance the sales profession and improve Canadian competitiveness. Learn more at cpsa.com. And remember to subscribe to the CPSA podcast through iTunes, Google Play, and more. Mike, welcome to the show. Hello, Bill. Thank you. And hello, listeners. Very pleased to be here. So beyond my wee introduction there, Mike, please can you tell our listeners a bit more about yourself and, and your career background? Sure, Bill, yes. Um, in terms of career background, I've, I've spent the last 30 years or so in and around the sales profession in one role or another. I carried a bag, as they say, selling uh, both B2C and B2B environments. I managed two different B2B sales teams, the largest of which was somewhere around $22 million in revenue. But then for over 20 years, I think close to 24 now, I've been on the sales performance improvement side of things. And We've had all kinds of names over the years, right? Sales training, sales effectiveness, sales enablement, sales transformation. And I've done this both as an internal corporate department leader and then twice as a consultant running my own business, which is what I'm doing now. And in both of those roles, my focus has always really been, Bill, on trying to to help the organization find ways to radically improve sales performance. I just resurrected the consulting business in January of 2017, and this time around, I'm really trying to focus and apply systems thinking to help clients transform their sales results, and that's uh, what I've been up to and what I'm doing these days. Perfect. Thank you very much. So this month's show is focused on the importance of sales readiness diagnostics. So can you please begin by painting a bit of a picture? What is sales readiness? And what daily problems are occurring when when sales leaders fail to understand it? Yeah, it's a great place to start, right? So sales readiness is, is one of the four systems that I primarily focus on. And if I were to describe it, I would say sales readiness is the act of preparing your sales force to go to market effectively. It's probably the simplest definition. And for me, it's about assessing and validating, possibly even certifying that your sales reps are really prepared to have the necessary business conversations with your buyers throughout their buying cycle to really help the reps achieve your company's sales objectives. So at a more detailed level, then, readiness really includes understanding your market, 
your buyers, especially their buyer's journey, in something I call the buying process exit criteria, which is my geeky performance language for what do the buyers need to see, hear, feel, touch, understand, and believe in each stage of their journey to feel comfortable moving forward to the next stage with you. And if you understand that, then you can start to build the right buyer engagement content to share along the journey to meet those criteria. But reps also then have to have the domain and business acumen to have the real business conversation to understand how your solutions tie into what they're trying to accomplish and can help them get there. All the while, they have to be able to execute your sales process and use your sales methodology at mastery levels and then be able to use all of the various sales tools at their disposal to do it all as effectively and efficiently as possible. So, you know, Bill, I was really pleased to, to hear that this was the topic today. And, and even recently, I've seen that some analyst firms have added sales readiness as a category of sales enablement tools that they report on. So it's it's starting to get the, the visibility I think it deserves, and that's a really great move in my opinion. Um, now, you asked about problems too, right? So what happens when when sales leaders ignore this? And um, in terms of the daily problems that I see, right, we hear about these things all the time. Only a little over half of reps are meeting quotas, according to reports that I see from CSO Insights and Serious Decisions. No decision rates are, are hovering sometimes as high as win or loss rates. And, and the failure of sales training to deliver expected ROI is practically legendary at this point. We hear about it all the time. So assuming there isn't some glaring problem with the company's strategy or products, all of those issues can be addressed with a really solid sales readiness strategy. Okay, thank you, Mike. So how can sales readiness assessments help sales leaders evaluate the current state of their sales enablement? practices. So for your readers, right, this depends really on, on what we mean by a readiness assessment. And I kind of categorize those bill into two different types of assessments. One is aimed at the training or the enablement group itself and how well they are readying the reps or the effectiveness of their efforts. And then the other is aimed at the sales force itself assessing their level of preparedness and the sales effectiveness as they go to market with buyers. And I think it's important to look at these things from, from both lenses because understanding how well the sales force is doing and how they're prepared to go to market, of course, is the primary concern. But then you look internally to say, well, how well are the training teams or operations teams or enablement teams and product marketing and all the players, what I call the bricks in the wall, uh, that, that collaborate to drive sales results, how well are they aligning to prepare and support the sales force itself? So both of these assessments are helpful. I usually start with the sales force, see what gaps they have, and then look at how consistent the approaches and messaging are, um, how well they handle buyer interactions. And if you see big gaps here, then you want to step back and examine and assess the sales enablement practices to see one of two things, to see whether the reps are being prepared effectively and maybe just aren't executing, or whether the enablement approach itself is weak, right? Because it's, it's very possible that, that the, the enablement and training teams, they're teaching the right stuff, but they're not helping the reps transfer that to the real world or help managers coach to mastery. 
Right? But, you know, it's also possible that maybe the content that's being taught won't produce results in the real world, even if it's being used. So this is the real power of assessments. And I like to say, Bill, that my, my mantra on this is much like a good doctor, right? If you went to a doctor and they said, oh, I want to send you to chemotherapy, and you haven't had any tests to prove you've got cancer, you'd stand up and walk right out the door, right? So the mantra is diagnose first, then prescribe. And I, I see this missing, unfortunately, in a lot of sales organizations and even in sales enablement groups, right? And that's the power of the assessments is they help you really determine what the problem is, get to the root cause, and then you can start to figure out what, what the right solution might be to move the needle. This is so much stronger than what the Sales Enablement Society, for example, calls, um, you know, just sort of like throwing solutions at the problem or random acts of sales enablement because it helps you determine how it is that you can move the needle and what it is you need to focus on. Well, I feel like we're moving the needle so far in, in this interview, Mike. And uh, now I'd, I'd like for you to take a few minutes and, and walk our listeners through those constituent parts that go into diagnosing one sales readiness. Yeah, sure. So diagnosing readiness is really more about assessing the rep's knowledge and skills about the market, their buyers, how to generate, how to have business conversations, to share insight how they create interest, how they generate and win opportunities by really creating value through their solutions you know, that help the buyers achieve the outcomes they want to have. And you, know, it's, this is, you can do this in a variety of ways, right? I'm working with an organization right now that's taking a great approach by laying a solid foundation of sales competencies. And then what I really love to see organizations do is have the reps actually assess themselves on each of these competencies that you know will move the needle. And then have the managers assess their reps on these competencies. And that does a couple of things. First of all, you find out where your reps and your managers are aligned, where they both agree on, hey, this is a strength for the rep or this is a, an, an area for improvement. And then it it points out where they might have a perceptual difference or gap. And as they explore those gaps, they get together and talk and, and work together. Sometimes the managers find out, hey, my, my, my rep is really better at this than I thought. I hadn't seen them in action here quite fully before. Uh, and sometimes finds out, wow, I thought I was really doing this well, but I can see obviously I've got some gaps here. And you know what? Either one of those situations are, are helpful uh, as long as they have the opportunity to get aligned. Now, what's even better then, if you want to really perpetuate these type of skills into the culture, is that you tie the training that you provide to these competencies. So when the reps and the managers assess the reps, when the reps do a self-assessment, manager assesses them, it creates sort of this profile of how well the reps do each of these things. And where, they, where they're low in competency, and have a developmental need, right? the system can then assign a personalized learning plan to help the rep shore up the competencies. And that's, that's one way that it gets past this event-based thinking of one point in time, because you can do this every six months or so and really keep a focus on the right competencies and then shoring up any gaps, and you start to raise the water level over time of the sales force. Now, 
in addition to that, if you want to step back then, remember I said you, you, you look and you assess the sales force, then you can also look and assess the sales readiness or sales enablement team to see whether or not they're using what I call a sales learning system. And that all starts with sales training content, preferably that's been culled from a top producer analysis because you need to know that the content that you're teaching will produce results in the real world if you can get it used. Once you know that, then it's about getting it used, right? So it's about things like, do you have a good learning design? And a lot of organizations toss training together without any thought about learning objectives or is this tied to performance. So I always recommend ensure that if you don't have one internally, connect with a great instructional design consultant to ensure that your learning is effectively designed. I'm a big fan of blended curriculum, getting knowledge in people's heads through e-learning, getting them into classrooms where they can practice, rehearse, feedback loops, really develop skills. Next thing, you really have to ensure that your managers are enabled. I often joke that if I had a dollar to spend or a pound to spend on sales training, right, I spend three quarters of that on enabling the managers because they are the frontline hinge for change in your organization. Now, so if you get those things in place sort of as the starting point, then you move into what I call the five stages of sales mastery and behavior change. And this is how you really ensure readiness. The first piece is using that great content in the learning design for knowledge acquisition. You train the reps on the content and get the knowledge into their heads. Now, Bill, we all know that the second you leave a training environment, classroom or otherwise, things start to fall out the other ear, right? right? There's a forgetting curve. And so how will you purposely plan to foil the forgetting curve and help sustain the knowledge? And that's the knowledge sustainment phase. Beyond that, you have to help them transition what they've learned to actual skill usage. And we're so, we're so remiss in this area in sales for some reason. We draw all these parallels to sports, but yet we don't really help people practice and develop skills in safe environments. Role play somehow has almost become a dirty word in some sales organizations. I think that's because it often isn't done well, but this is an opportunity to really help people practice. And there are so many great sales enablement tools on the market now that offer virtual coaching practice, and, and, and I, have a, uh, I work with a, a service that you can call up and role play with somebody on the phone, and it gets recorded and coached and sent back to you and your manager. So many ways to practice and develop skills. So that's the skill development phase. Number four is skill transfer. Just because they learn something, they've remembered it, and they practice it and can do it, doesn't mean they always transfer that to the real world and apply it with real customers. So how will you help people do that? Do you have job aids that they can fill out and use to prepare for the client that will help them use what was learned in class? Do you have a system like a membrane, a Revigee, an Altify, something that is it rides along with your CRM and guides them on using what they learned in training on the job as they're working with clients? Or is the manager going to call along or ride along with them to ensure that things are transferring? But some way you have to help them make the, the leap from, I know how to do this stuff, to now I'm going to do it with real clients. And sometimes that's where the fear comes in and prevents them, right? So orchestrating this transfer is important. The last piece of the five stages then, Bill, is coaching to mastery. Because just because they learned it, remembered it, can do it, and did it, doesn't mean they did it well or that they'll continue to do it, especially if it's a new skill. So 
then you have to set up systems to help managers coach them to mastery in the real world over time, doing field training and, and coaching based on whether they're doing it well enough, uh, doing enough of it, whatever your analysis tells you. Now, the last piece of that then is really the change management piece because research uh, tells us that you know almost 70% of change initiatives don't produce the desired result. So if you've gone through all of this to really get people to mastery over time, you still have to make sure that you're doing the things in the organization to reinforce them and cement the change in the culture. It's a little like stretching a rubber band. If you don't hold it at that stretch stage long enough and let go of it, it's going to snap back to the shape it was before. And so there's an element of change management in, in all of this. And to me, Bill, that's really, the, those are the constituent parts that you asked about that if you get those in place and you orchestrate that purposefully, you can radically change your readiness of your sales force to go to market more effectively and win more deals. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Now, uh, just finally for today, Mike, uh, how, can, how can our listeners learn more about you and, and the work done at Transforming Sales Results? Sure. Well, my website's actually uh, www.mikekunkel.com, and they can uh, learn uh, plenty about me there. If they go to the services tab, mikekunkel.com slash services, we'll tell them all about the things I do at Transforming Sales Results. And Bill, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. Uh, I have been for years, so I would encourage your, your listeners to just reach out and connect with me and say, hey, I heard you on CPSA talking to Bill. Uh, like to connect, and they can find me at uh, LinkedIn.com in slash Mike Kunkel, all one word, and I'd be happy to connect with them. Okay, well, uh, that's what I did, ladies and gentlemen. I reached out, and, and Mike was gracious enough, gracious enough to uh, uh, to take his time today to chat to me, even when I sent him a follow-up email thinking that I couldn't make this because as we record this, the World Cup is on, and First time ever England seemed to be doing quite well. Um, <laughs> he, he worked it all out for me. Um, so that just leaves me to say for today, uh, Mike, thank you very much for being the guest on the Sales Pro Chat Show. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thank you for listening to Sales Pro Chat Podcast, brought to you by the Canadian Professional Sales Association. 